It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 68, Scott, not 69, 68 of the Skate Podcast. Scott Scott was a little upset when he realized it was episode 68 today. Just gives me something to look forward to next week. <laughs> um, I'm Brian D. Fleece, obviously that was Scott McLaughlin, and Bridget Prue also joins us, who was up till 2 a.m. Um writing a diligent article on uh, Jeremy Swayman's uh, undefeated home record. So. And then Brian made me wake up early to come in here and do this. <laughs> yeah, I made him wake up at I, He called me in bed. Define early. Define <laughs> early. Hey, it's almost dinner time three. with daylight savings. <laughs> for someone who went to bed at 3 a.m. It's going to be dark in an hour, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> I was in bed when he called. Let's just yeah. put it that way. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it because I don't know what yeah. I look like. But yeah. here we are. No, it's, um, you know... Big ups to uh, to my line mates because you know typically we record around I don't know six at night and uh, we had to do it a little earlier today because um, you know classic Brian just kind of forgot what day it was and had something planned later today so um, Bridget was able to get out of bed really early at eleven forty five and and we're off and running um, so the Bruins since we last spoke they they lost the Maple Leafs five two they recently beat uh, the Senators at home three to two in a, in a um, you know, a more spirited effort, but let's just hop back to Hockey Night in Canada for a second last Saturday. Um, I believe it was Saturday, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, the Bruins came out okay in the first, and then after that, it, they, they they shit the bed, and um, I guess we'll just start start with this game. There's a lot to dissect, so let's, let's go for it. Yes, I thought the, t- the Toronto game was, was and should have been a, a big wake-up call for the Bruins, because they just... They didn't bring it. They got thoroughly outworked. And there's almost like two separate discussions to have here. And one's going to be, do they have enough skill to defend against a team like the Maple Leafs? That's one discussion. The other is, why the hell are they so flat? Like, I I think a big part of the problems on Saturday, you know, I would have liked to have seen what it looks like them against the Maple Leafs when they're playing well and they're working hard, you know, how does that hold up? They just weren't doing that. Like, they just got outworked. They just got 
pushed around. They were slow to pucks. You know, you have Derek Forward on the penalty kill, who we've obviously been critical of Forward. That didn't take I, long. I think, I, I think he's, for the most part, ready. actually been pretty solid on the PK. Um, but Saturday night, he, you know, a pass comes into the slot, and he just, like, weakly kind of pushes it with one hand on his stick right to Mitch Marner, who then finds Austin Matthews for a goal. And it's like, that is just, like, that's just not doing what you have to do to win hockey games. Like, you can't, and Bruce Cassidy said after the game, like, you, you can't be poking pucks away with one hand on the penalty kill. Like, you gotta, you know, he had a chance to make a play on that, maybe even get a clear, at the very least whack it to the corner and reset and give guys a chance to get in position. Um, and then you have, you know, John Tavares comes out of the box and Grizzlick and Riley, who are paired together because they were just on for the end of a power play, uh, just both get completely worked by Tavares. Uh, you know, Grizzlick, like, tries to kind of hold him up or give, like, a reverse hit, and Tavares just walks right around him and gets the puck. Uh, then he gets to the front, he outworks Riley, has body position, and buries a rebound. And it's like, okay, so are Grizzlick and Riley so bad defensively that they're just never going to be able to defend against John Tavares? Or were they just not doing what they had to do there? Like, maybe it's a little bold, but I think in that case, it's like, Matt Grizzlick knows better than to, like, hang back and... I don't know what he thought John Tavares was going to do there, but it was pretty clear he was going to step around him and go get the puck. Like, Matt Grizzlick knows you have to get into the corner, and yeah, you might have to take a hit to do it, but you've got to make a play. Like, you've got to win the puck there. Uh, Mike Riley has, you know, yeah, it's not the strength of his game playing in front of the net, but he's been there. He's been around. Like, he knows how to get body position. You know, it's not like a foreign concept to him, and he just let Tavares get right in front of him. So those things are, like, they have to be maddening if you're a coach um, because you work on all that stuff. And, yeah, there's the size argument, and we know that's not a strength of Grizzly and Riley's games. But it's also, like, not an excuse to be like, oh, well, I guess, you know, they just can't defend the front of the net. Like, no, there's still things you can do to be effective in those areas, and they just didn't do them. Uh, <clears throat> Bridget, you have a follow-up on the uh, on the defensive play that game? or Well, they just... In general, they were completely outmatched on that penalty kill. So Matthews was able to score twice, and there were times where they were not in the right coverage. Like, they just were leaving too much space for someone like Matthews because they were overshifted. And that was when that was ugly from that Toronto game, but they seemed to kind of fix that in their next game against Ottawa because they were able to kill off quite a few penalties. It was, uh, they took a few stupid ones that either, you know, a Cassie was kind of alluding to that some of them were bad calls um but either way they were really inopportune times um especially when they had a power play and then they ended up being down five on three um, because they they took a penalty it went to four and four took another penalty went to four on three eventually ended up they were killing a five on three so yeah um, some really inopportune times to take it in that second game it almost hurt them too because they got down early against Ottawa, I think is the quickest they've let in a goal all season. Um, it was like a minute 20-something into the first period. And then they dug themselves um, into, you know, not having much offensive zone time because of turnovers and because they took a penalty and they were on the kill for the – and that really slowed their start down in that Ottawa game. Yeah, it did. Now, you know, jumping back to the Toronto start, like 
that's a game that they they had a decent start in. You know, it's and I I lied earlier, so I apologize to you two and and the listeners. We actually uh, haven't spoken since also the Detroit game where Bergeron scored four goals. Um, so want to shout that out as well because that was obviously a, a well played game by the Bruins and and um, specifically on the man advantage to kind of get that monkey off the back and then that carried over into the first period in Toronto when you know Cassidy talks about McAvoy making the right reads at the top of the umbrella and. Um, you know, he kind of fed Marshand on the on the right boards, and then um, to Bergeron on the bumper, and then he kind of stayed hot, and then Hall got a stick on it. So that's great, one nothing. The problem is everything after that, and what what stood out to me is like, you know, the Maple Leafs, and maybe you guys saw something different. Their top guys, or their core four, as they're they're uh, saying now up in Toronto, which is almost as annoying as the perfection line slogan, but. Uh, that's like that's the old Yankees thing, right? Like what? This was the core four too, right? Wasn't was it? it? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm yeah, not sure, so. but uh, you know what was thought to me was like Toronto didn't even they didn't even seem that dangerous offensively. Like 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 Matthews seemed quiet. Marner had moments. Tavares played a good game. Nylander was quiet until you put him on that power play. But even then, Bridget, like I would I would argue like. You know the Matthews one was kind of he the shouldn't one-timer. be that yeah he shouldn't be that hard no, to yeah. cover on the power play because you know no. exactly what he, where he's setting up and what he yeah. wants to do. But that was kind of a squeaker that kind of went through Olmark's arm. But like the 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 one on the zone entry with Forbert, um, and I think Carlo was the other guy. Those two have been taken advantage of on zone entries on the PK more than once this year. And uh, Scott already ripped Forbert for that one-handed play, so I'm not going to uh, reiterate that. But um, you know the Bruins just Toronto. The Bruins looked awful defensively, and Toronto didn't look great offensively. So, wait, did I say defensively? Yeah, they didn't look great defensively, and Toronto didn't look great offensively. So, it was just kind of like a weird combination. And, you know, I think with Derek Forber, it's it's just one of those situations where it's like, you know, not for nothing, but we brought you in to be this big, physical guy to play against. That's all we're really asking. You know, like, be tough defensively, be physical. We're not asking you to be Grizzly or McAvoy. And I'm Brian, pretty he's sure- a goal scorer. True. He is only three <laughs> goals behind Bergeron for the team lead. That is true. Um, but I think that that's the message they said to him after the game. Like, look, bud, like, we, we just need you to be, like, play to your size, and, and that's really it. And I thought he played much better against Ottawa, the goal aside. The Grizzly play with Tavares, Scott, like, to me that was so frustrating because that was the prototypical, I hear footsteps. And, like, whose footsteps are you hearing? Like, Tom Wilson's? Oh, no, it's no, John Tavares, who's going to do nothing but maybe hug you into the boards and even think, stop skating. Yeah, Tavares has like a little physicality to his game, but to that point, like, yeah, he's not going to run you through the glass. If you want to get hurt in the game of hockey, stop moving your feet. Yeah. <laughs> because that's when you get hurt. Or you just get exposed like that. Like, Grizzly just stopped skating. He literally, like, threw on the brakes and stopped skating. Let Tavares get the puck, and next thing you know, um, you know, it's in the back of your net with some weak coverage in front. And ultimately... The Bruins have been really bad in second periods the last couple of seasons. They played like shit in the third until they went down, was it 5-1 or 4-1? And only then, actually after that Tavares goal, and only then was it like, all right, boys, let's start skating. And that's what pisses me off the most because then you see this team, what they can play like. Even And I'm one of these people that thinks they do have personnel issues. But even with those personnel issues, when they're skating... They're still a damn good hockey team. And it's like, guys, it's not for nothing. I get it. It's a long season. It's 82 games. It's 60 minutes a game minimum. I know you're not going to have it all the time. But you have to have it more often times than not. And especially your first time back in Toronto in almost two years. Hockey Night in Canada. Everyone's talked before the game how excited they were. 
It's like, and that's how you play. And everybody in Boston was running the bases, show, listening and showing all the highlights of the <laughs> the comeback when they were Bruins were down three and they scored. They almost, and they almost did come back after Pasta scored to make it five to two or four to two, four to two maybe. Four to two, yeah. Um, you know, Craig Smith had like a few point blanks in the slot. Other guys had like you know, great. McAvoy had a great A chance coming down the right side. That game was almost four three with nine minutes to go, and it's well, well, guys. You know, I'm not I'm not a rocket scientist, but if you if you play with that piss and vinegar for the majority of the 55 minutes before that, there's a good chance you're winning this hockey game. Yeah, and I thought it's, some of that some of that frustration even carried over to the Ottawa game where they get the win, which is great. And I thought there were signs like I thought they played harder. They're definitely more physical for sure. Like they brought that, but it still it ends up being a three two game, and like Ottawa has some chances late, and it's just like. Again, it's a game where it's like you're clearly a better team than the Senators. That it's their fifth sh- loss in a row. Yeah, that should have been a fairly comfortable win, and it turns into a game where like you're kind of holding on. And it's like, is there a, a late tying goal coming here? Like I said that to Bridger when we were, mm-hmm. we were like heading to the elevator to head down to press conferences because you know this is a media ramp, but like we have to like go down early because there aren't enough spots in the elevator. It's whatever. But anyway, so we're walking over with like a few minutes left, and I was like. This kind of just feels like a game where, like, there's going to be some fluke late tying goal because the Bruins haven't done enough to close it. And you want to know what? There easily could have been, except yeah. for Swayman made a few incredible stops yeah. in the last five minutes and, you know, avoided that catastrophe. Yeah. So, in general, Tuesday night against Ottawa, better game for sure. Um, liked the physicality. And Bruce Cassidy even said he thought he thinks they're a team that plays better in those kinds of games where things. You know, temperature starts to go up, so that was good to see, but it was still a game where they, they definitely didn't bring it for a full 60 minutes, and the game ended up being closer than it really should have been. I was fully prepared to be writing last night about how they dug themselves a hole they couldn't get out of in the first period, because I know they were only down one to nothing, but they didn't. They, they were just turning pucks over in the worst places. That goal came off of a turnover by Hall, um, the first goal from Sanford. So, and they, yeah. they just weren't cleaning up the turnovers. They couldn't transition they couldn't get um established in the offensive end and it just it just looked like okay this this is ugly right now and then finally in the second period they they settled in well and and it's a good point Bridget and we're we're gonna we're gonna get to um Taylor Hall's lack of usage in the third period um in in a little bit but riddle me this guys so after the Toronto game you know the the takeaway and Bruce Cassidy's message to his team and the media was, yeah, we're going to be harping on playing a full 60 and being a tough team to play against for a full 60. So you know that the next practice, that was emphasized. You know that before the game against Ottawa, that was emphasized. Play a full 60. So, with that said, how does the team know that's the message going into Ottawa and have their arguably worst first period of the season? How, How does that even happen? Honestly, how does that happen? I'm not, like, like they they did they, a lot. Well, they, of, yeah. they, they, they did it to themselves. I mean, the Senators. It wasn't anything the Senators were doing to fool them, that, right? Unless Scott, no. you you saw something different. No, I, I didn't think the Senators played great no. either to I'm, come out. I mean, like, Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall coughs up the puck early, gives them a gift uh, opportunity in the slot, and they capitalize. I understand, like that's not how the Bruins drew it up. But when when you're when, if I'm Bruce Cassidy or any or or, or any of or Joe Sacco or Chris Kelly, any of the coaches on the bench, it's like you know what the message was going into this game. 
play a full 60. Well, that starts at the first 20. So if you're going to come out strong in any of the periods, you would have thought the first period they're going to come out like gangbusters. And, you know, I guess the first goal early on kind of halted that a little bit, but still it's like... Well, and, and so did those the penalties. I mean, McAvoy yeah. took one early, then they gave up two while they were on a power play. Um, yep. and then And then from there, like, it's hard to get... It's hard to get things flowing, I guess. And you're not you're, you're using different guys, like you're using your penalty killers. You're not getting Pasternak on the ice. Like yep. you're you have to play a completely different way than you would need to to get your offense going and to just kind of put that Toronto game behind you and and get things back going. But that's not what happened. And I, I thought that it was because of there's no flow due to the turnovers and the penalties and, and then they settled that down in the second period so yeah and like the and the early goal even if you're coming out a little flag that should have been the wake-up call and like then you get going and you respond well the rest of the period and they didn't even do that like they you know they had control they had more shot attempts and shots on goal the rest of the period but they weren't really dangerous like it, yeah it didn't it didn't feel like Oh boy, like you know, poke the bear that that they've woken up now. It was like, all right, like they're playing, but like they're not really fighting back. Yeah, and if and you know, took until the second period to to finally get going, and then you know they score on the power play, and then uh, Forbort, uh, you know, Norris candidate Derek Forbort scores um, a nice play, so. You know, and then like, and then they're they're back, but it it definitely it didn't happen after that first goal, which is, you know, even more concerning because it's one thing if you just come out flat or whatever, but like you actually got that early wake up call and it still didn't really seem to do much. Yeah, and and Coyle drew two penalties in the first period, which didn't got hit end in the up. Face again. Yep, he got Keeps high stick in the face like every game. He's got scars everywhere at this yeah. point. I was telling you guys Sunny where he got hit in the lip. He already has a scar there from when he was in Minnesota. Yeah. So he's a hockey guy. Yeah, he's got. He's gonna have cuts all over himself <laughs> by the end of this. But they all, it turned out to be for yeah. nothing. Like he he ended up going. He, he drew a penalty. Then that's what ended up being that weird situation yeah. where all the penalties happened. And then he came out and drew another penalty right after I, all of that. I, I thought Coyle played a really good game. Um, I thought that he. You know, again, it's like if you're not scoring, what are you doing? And 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 he used every bit of his, you know, six foot two, you know, two hundred twenty pound, you know, size. Um, I like I like what you said, Scott, about you know, you didn't really see them fighting back in the first period because, um, you know, I noticed in the Toronto game, uh, the Bruins took a one nothing lead and Wayne Simmons tried to get Frederick to drop the gloves and 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 you know maybe maybe change momentum, but like that would have worked for the Bruins too, and and Frederick just skated away, didn't want any part of it for whatever reason, you know, thought that the Bruins have momentum. You know, I thought that would have been a, a, a good tilt for both teams on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, it was early enough in the game where, you know, the both sides had momentum. Never happened. And, you know, Toronto ends up winning, and maybe if Frederick drops the gloves to Simmons, maybe the Bruins don't have a flat second. Who knows? But in the, in the, in the first period against the Senators, I was thinking that to myself. I was like, you know, things aren't going the Bruins' way. They're really struggling to score 5-on-5 five five at even strength. They're down a goal early. They've just been challenged by their head coach by having a strong 60 minutes. I thought that that first period would have been a great opportunity for a well-timed hockey fight, probably with Frederick and somebody on the Senators willing to go. And, it, it, you know, it didn't happen. Um, and I was, you know, it's like, this is kind of when you, you need to have a, a well-timed, you know, five for fighting, I thought. And it never came. Um, 
he still seems to be feeling out when that right opportunity is. Like, when's the right time? Because well, he was and in. Now the... he's going to be extra hesitant going forward because <laughs> yeah. he, you know, they say upper body, but well, that's a, he got draw. He got you know, up. draw lines. It's probably yeah. concussion. So yeah, exactly. He got lined up. I believe it was Brown that just nailed him yes, in an Josh open Brown, nice yeah. hit. Yeah. I mean, it was a phenomenal. It was a it was clean. Hit. Oh, absolutely hit. clean. Buddy passed hit. by Chucky, and you know he knew that. I think I think it was some added sentiment for McAvoy in the third to kind of uh, you know return the receipt because he knew that he kind of put Frederick in that position in the, in the second. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, so just, so they go down one nothing end of the first period, and then at the time, um, I, I I was just curious because uh, sometimes sometimes look, I'm a big eye test guy, we know that, but sometimes I like to, I like to pull a Scotty Scotty popcorn and, and see if the stats back up what I'm looking at. Oh, By man, way, did you get good, on Statric? No. I have a good stat. No, I, I, didn't, go on, I didn't go on natural Statric. I just went on uh, NHL.com and just did the math myself. But so after the yesterday's first period, the Bruins had 17 goals in 28. 20, they had 17 even strength goals in 28 periods so far this season. Post game, now it's 18 over 30 periods. So the point is, they're struggling five on five going into that second period, and and even as we speak now. Um, but fortunately for them, it was the power play that got them going in the second period. Pasta shot the puck, goes off Marshan. Scott alludes to Forbert's goal, which you know his motion leading up to that goal, going from the right point, coming up high, going to the left point with speed, and then attacking the net was you know more impressive than the goal itself. But so finally, the Bruins take the two one lead. Um, Frederick gets lit up at center ice like we just talked about, and now and now the energy's in the building. And you know Clifton gets in a fight, um, not a great one, but he gets in a fight. And last year we talked about like having to manufacture your own energy with with no fans in the stands, and th- that's not the case this year. And it just seems like it took a while for the Bruins to finally get, you know, to play with that intensity that Cassie was looking for them to play with. Yeah, and mentioned earlier, you know, I didn't love their response after the first goal. I did like their response after the Senators' second goal, um, which is just a really fluky play. Zaitsev throws it on net from, like, the right boards. And Swayman said it deflected off someone. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, it was hard, it was hard to tell in replay. In, full t- in, in, like, real time when I first saw it, I did think it hit something. But I couldn't tell on the replay either yeah. way. So it was, it was hard to see. Either but way, he-, he was double-screened. Yeah, either it's it's a tough angle. It's a weird play. It was kind of against the run of play at that point. Um, so talking about like the energy in the building, like that temporarily took it out of it, um, and then the the Bruins get it back. And part of that is the Clifton fight helped bring some of that back. And then they score like I think it was thirty seconds after that. Um, Bergeron, you know, off broken sticks everywhere, pass and pass and deflects off it and. Bergeron just makes a great reaction play. He realizes that the goalie is probably just as thrown off by that deflection as as he was. He sees the puck and he just whacks it in before Mari can reset. Um, yeah, I've seen that play happen. So when I broadcast college hockey, that's happened a few times. Not with broken sticks, but like there's something else that's happening in the corner of the play that throws the goalie's eyes off and like like for instance, like two players crash into each other and fall down, and then someone else scores. Like it it takes your focus away for a half a second and really Bergeron it only took him a second to corral the puck off his stick and shoot it in so and he said when we asked him post game he was like I was really hoping it didn't hit that stick but then I had to try to be sneaky about it and 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 try to just conceal the shot 
Yeah, because he's, he, you know, if he gets that puck clean, he's thinking shot right away because he's alone. And, you know, once it deflects, I think, you know, because Marty kind of pulls off the postal and I think he's thinking now he's going to pass. Now he's looking for other options probably because too much time has gone by. And it's true. Bergeron, if you looked at how he was standing when he shot the puck, he wasn't really in a shooting like Yeah, it stance. was just like a quick flip. Yeah, like, it wasn't exactly. Like a hard shot. So, but that was a four-on-four goal. Yes. Yeah, it was a four-on-four goal, and, um, you know, Bergeron scores his fifth goal in the last three games. I think Bergeron and Marchand. Marchand, again, you talk about a guy who just, you know, is always finding ways to, to provide energy. I mean, his, his skating game, which, you know, seemingly is always on, it was at a different level uh, last night with, um, was it last night or the night before? Yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah, last night. Uh, yeah. Night before That's last night. That's the one. That's... That's yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah, 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 I was yeah, yeah. up writing yes, for Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. <laughs> Losing track of my days, yeah. Um, but no, his uh, his edge work was was phenomenal. I mean, just, you know, you know, quick pivots and and, and stops and starts along the along the, the sideboards and just getting defensemen to just wish they were changing. And no, nobody has to tell Marshawn to play a full 60, right? Marshawn right. plays the full 60 same effort oh, yeah. pretty much every yeah, night. And uh, so, so they have, you know, they're, they're playing well. Um, like I said, I think they have 13 points in the last three games combined, those two. Um, you know, Pashnak is still, you know, a bit snake-bitten, but he's getting his chances. He got oh, yeah. absolutely robbed, um, you know, last night, uh, Murray, with, that a, with, was, with the paddle. That, well, that was an amazing save. Yeah. Probably could have been a, a boarding penalty on him on Shabbat right before that, but hey, you like the yeah. physicality. You know, I was surprised to see him get away with that. Um, but at least those top guys, you know, the, the, you're starting to see their mojo coming back, you know, more as a, as a, as a, as a trio, um, which is important. We kind of assume that that's a given every year, but we learned in the first, you know, nine games, it's not always a given that they're going to be on all the time. Yeah, and I like to see, so in addition to, you know, Pazan showing some physicality there, I liked seeing him take on defenders a couple times too. Like there, were, there was at least one rush where he tried to cut to the middle between Two guys. There's another where he like faked inside and then tried to go with speed to the outside. And I feel like there there's been points earlier this season where he would more kind of just slow the play down and wait for someone to catch up and try to make a pass. So just to see him having some of that attacking mindset again, like to see that coming back, it it, it feels like it's coming. And you know, with Pasternak specifically, it's like. You don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable, but, like, it was brought up to Bruce Cassidy last week, and he touched on it a little bit. It's like, Pasternak had a horrible offseason. Like, it had just about, like, the worst thing that can happen to, to a person for, you know, having his newborn son die. And I'm sure it threw off his entire offseason. Like, I'm sure he wasn't training like normal. I'm sure he, you know, he was slow getting back. So, like there's a human element to this where it's like to an extent a slow start to the season for him can be very understandable and it's like i don't know like i don't know if that explains it or not maybe it's something completely different maybe it is just something with his game being off like who knows but you want to give him some time because that's it had to have had some effect on just how he approached the season so, I think it had just in general just an effect on how you you go about life. No matter yeah. what, everything's different. Like you look at everything different after that. So, absolutely, I I try not to think about it when we're at the games yeah. and just like try to judge it on the hockey. But it's hard to forget about that because that was devastating. 
for him and and just so sad to hear and and it's a it's a good point to bring up at, like in this kind of situation where you kind of have to remind yourself yeah it it could it could be something that he's still trying to trying to deal with in terms of yeah. getting up to speed um because it wasn't obviously hockey becomes not the priority in the off season at that point so yeah and you know from a from a fan's perspective like you you know what happened uh in the off season but and then you know everybody's lives lives go on and and, and it's not that you forget what happened but like <clears throat> he's such a outgoing personality that you know, you're, you're always seeing the Bruins post pictures of him pregame. He's he's in the same funny fun suits he always wears. I saw a picture on Twitter yesterday of him posing a, um, with a dog at Warrior, like like on the ice. The dog was on the other side of the glass. Like so, from the outside looking in, you still see this happy-go-lucky, you know, charismatic individual. Um, and and yeah, it's he he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't wear his 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 pain like some people probably do, and it's bottled up for him. I I, I absolutely think that you know there's a human element to to Pashnak's start this year, and his off season was totally off. But as far as on the ice goes, you know, um, his his game isn't just going to miraculously get back to where it was. He's going to have to show um, a bit of the time that he's getting back to it, like you just said, Scott. And I think you're starting to see it now because. In addition to what Scott said, challenging defenders, you know, and, and attacking them as opposed to, you know, maybe make, making the game come to him like like David Krejci would probably. Um, in addition to backing off defenders, the way you back off defenders with with individual, um, you know, creative one on one moves, is by having those defensemen in the back of their mind believe that you could also be shooting, um, because that gives them. The respect, like they, that, makes them back off even more so. So I've seen Pashnak also start to throw the puck at the net from the top of the slaughter from the sideboards more. Um, and they're, you know, they're they're hard shots too. Like they're not just like flimsy wrist shot. Like they're, they, they a, he's a fifty goal scorer. So he's starting to he's starting to shoot through defenders too on on the rush, and that's that's buying him some space and some time to do the creative things like Scott mentioned. Um, and I think that goal that Murray saved, like diving with a stick, goes in nine times out of ten. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, I, I think I think Pashnak was was too looking around for the ref to see if the arm was up <laughs> after, after that hit. Um, but so so those three guys, you're, you're starting to see that they're starting they're starting to feel it. Um, outside of them, especially even strength, you're not seeing a whole lot from everybody else. I think now is probably a good chance to chime in with uh, number seventy one potentially. You know, being one of those forwards that are struggling to generate a lot. Um, at even strength. Yeah, and Scott wrote um, a little bit about how um, Hall was taken out of the lineup a little bit in the third period, but also something Cassidy talked about post game was this third line was quiet. He just straight up said third line was quiet. Um, so we, when he was asked about Studnika, um, he said that you know Hall obviously did a great job on faceoffs, but the line as a whole in terms of producing offense, generating offense, was quiet, and that. It's just an observation anyone could have made, but if you want to start with the Hall stuff. Yeah, and and Cassie said also said last night, just in general, both up front and on defense, they need more from, from more depth guys. Like They are relying too much on the top line offensively, and they're relying too much on, he said they're relying too much on McAvoy in all situations. Like he was saying, he was like, Power play, penalty Night, night after night, they can't be asking McAvoy to handle the toughest five-on-five shifts, 
also contribute offensively five on five, run the top power play, be one of the top penalty killers, uh, be the one who brings the physicality, which McAvoy did with several hard hits last night. Like, McAvoy is great, and he is capable of doing all that, but you want other people pitching in and helping out and doing some of that over the course of an 82-game season. Um, You know, so on Hall... Yeah, so Hall takes an offensive zone penalty uh, with, like, I don't know if it was, what, 10 minutes left or 8-something eight, eight left or whatever. Um, ends up playing just 38 seconds the rest of the game after that. And his next shift after that, he turned the puck over trying to enter the offensive zone, trying to carry it, carry it in. Also had the turnover in the first period that we mentioned that led to the goal. And Cassie said after the game that, you know, basically he wasn't playing winning hockey, that he was he was trying to make an individual play when in that situation, when you're up, you know, defending a one-goal lead, you want to get it in behind the defense, get it in deep, and then go in on the forecheck. And he felt like Hall wasn't doing that. So he, and flip side of this that's more encouraging is he obviously feels like Jake DeBrusque was doing that because it's DeBrusque who gets elevated to the second line and when that line goes out with two and a half minutes left in regulation, it's DeBrusque with Coyle and Smith and Hall's on the bench. Um, I'm not super concerned about Taylor Hall. I think for the most part, he's been good this season, but Tuesday night was a, was a tough game for him. And Cassidy clearly wanted to, a wanted to send a message that you're going to have to play the right way every night and can't have an off night like this. But B legitimately thought that was their best chance of closing that game out was Hallwatt didn't have it for whatever reason, wasn't playing the right way. DeBrusque was playing better last night, so Cassie says that this is the line that gives us the best chance to hold on to this lead right now. To me, it sounds like Cassie has been trying to break Hall's tendencies. Whatever he was doing earlier in his career, the, the kind of stuff that he's used to doing, in the last two games, even even with the positive stuff, when he scored the, the goal out in front of the net in Toronto to start the game, uh, and then we were able to talk to him post-game, he said, well, Cassie told me if I'm not playing this role on the power play, then I'm not on the power play. Like, if I'm not out in front of the net looking for tip-ins, looking for, to, to be the screener, like, I'm off this, I'm off the power play. And then now it seems that there's another message being sent in the Ottawa game, which was... If you're not gonna, if if you're not gonna get pucks in deep and and you know stop uh, trying to do everything yourself um, in a game that requires or in a time of the game that requires you to to just kind of uh, dump the puck in deep, then once again th- that was a harder message sent because y- you know when you're not playing, like your eight minutes of really not playing, that's that that's gonna drive him crazy. So there's a lot of messages being sent to him, and I mean he's played well, but. I think that Cassie just really wants to drive home a few of the differences in the system that he's going to have to play with the Bruins. Yeah, it's it's a, it's going to be a learning curve for him. I think it's um, you know like it's it's an off game, no doubt about it. Um, it's a long season. You know, I, I'm. It's an interesting comment you said about um, what Cassidy or what Taylor Hall said about if he's not in the net front row in the power play, he's not in the power play because. You know they have Marshand. I could I could see a scenario now. The Bruins want the puck running through Marshand and McAvoy on the power play, so I don't think they'll do it. But I will say, you know, Hall's Hall's main objective on the power play is to retrieve pucks beneath the goal line. Yep. That that's what they want him to do. 
Which is interesting because I think that Brad Marchand is one of the best puck retrievers in the entire league, and, and I can Craig see, Smith is also a good puck retriever. Yes, he is, but but Marchand's on a, a bit of a different level than, than Craig Smith well, in, yes. that, in that sense. But <laughs> but I'm saying like in in yeah. terms of Hall versus Smith. Yes. Yeah. 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 But you know, I think you could put Marchand beneath the you know on the goal line in front of the net. He doesn't have the height, I guess, to Hall does, but he has the puck pursuit and the creativity around the net to make things happen there too. And maybe Tiller Hall's on that on that right circle as a lefty. Um, you know, maybe maybe he can. He'd have to get good chemistry with Bergeron on the bumper, but I feel like he can make some plays happen from there too. So it's interesting that that's what that that's what Hall was told. He's either goal line or nothing on that unit because I could see him and Martian switching and, and and having a good look there yeah. too and you even saw that a little bit last night i mean on on that goal it's marshant who's who's around the net and hall was a little further out wide um exactly and that like so that there's fluidity on that unit so and cassie has talked about this as well it's like yes in theory everyone has their spots but get into the zone get set up and then make plays like you're all smart players you're all skilled like don't don't think as soon as you get into the zone, you just have to make a beeline to your spot on the ice. Um, and the good thing about that power play unit is because, like, Bergeron, they know exactly where Bergeron's shooting the puck if Bergeron gets the, the puck in the bumper. They they were saying he's so accurate. Um, and the reason why Hall actually got that tipping goal was because he saw that the puck was going chat like at the chest of the goalie, so he knew it was going to be saved if he didn't touch it. So that's when he decided to redirect it. But he said a lot of the times he just lets it go through because he knows how accurate Bergeron's shot is. So they kind of know to stay out of those lanes that Bergeron likes to shoot in and pass in. And that comes with just knowing each other very well. Yeah, and one of the things on Hall is, like, so with him getting bench because he's not getting the puck in deep it's like that's also a fine line to walk because one of the things that taylor hall has always been elite at is carrying the puck into the offensive zone like he for 10 10 plus years has been one of the best in the nhl Mm -hmm. at entering the offensive zone with possession and then making plays so it's like you you want him doing that and you don't want to like discourage it and like turn him into someone who's just dumping it in and chasing but what Cassie is talking about is situational is don't take on two defenders with six minutes left and you have a one goal lead and rest that turnover. Like know when, when to attack and when to do that. And by the way, some players don't respond well to being, being like made an example of right. And then like being sat for the rest of that game. And he's somebody who lost his confidence earlier in his career with Buffalo. I'm sure like, it's not going to affect him the way that playing in Buffalo did, but I'm just saying like, he's had issues with confidence in previous destinations in his career. So you, you have to kind of keep that in mind too. Yeah. I think he'll be fine. Like, Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that this one time will do it, but some some players get it in their minds that they're getting singled out and other people aren't, and that it be kind of becomes like a, oh, are they just like, is it really my fault? Are they just not like, do they just not like me? Like, there's some there's some people that can get that in their own heads. I'm not saying he's like that, but yeah, we'll see how he respond. Like facing his old team Thursday night, he's got the Oilers, so we'll see how he responds. I I think he'll be fine, um, but. You know, it will be interesting because, like, that that was, I think, a new experience for him in Boston. Like, it's probably the first time he's 
really ended up in the doghouse. So, you know, it's been mostly highs with him so far since he got here. So, you know, let's let's see how he answers now. Yeah, and to that point, though, Bridget, <clears throat> um, you know, Bruce Cassidy does a pretty good job of um, letting his kids know he has no favorite child except for maybe 63 and 37 and 73. But, um, you know, because you see Jack Seneca comes up, comes down. Uh, Taylor Hall saw the Jake DeBrusque, you know, um, reality show that's been the last, you know, since Hall's been here. Um, you know, Eric Hall is a new guy, a newcomer who, um, you know, uh, Cassidy limited his ice time up in Toronto, I believe it was, um, and made that known. So I think Cassidy does it enough to everybody, um, like, again, outside the top guys, where Taylor Hall um, won't really feel single, though. He, he'll, he knows. He knows he, he knows he coughed that puck up. He knows he's made turnovers. So I think he probably <clears> – <throat> any player – you know, when they know they've effed up, they know. They know it's coming. Yeah. He, yeah. he knew it was coming. And, 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 if, it, and if it didn't happen, um, he would have been wondering why it didn't happen. So I, I think he'll be fine. Um, I, I did – Bridget made a comment earlier, earlier about the third line. And I've tried to reserve judgment on the bottom six because we haven't really seen the true bottom six because Felino's been out this entire season just about. Um, and hopefully on Thursday night we'll we'll see some more consistency of personnel on the lineup. To, uh, you know, although Frederick should be out for a little bit too, mm-hmm. after receiving a pretty brutal hit. But my point on the bottom six is, uh, yes, the third line seems to be not generating much. Um, I have liked Jake DeBrusque's play um, on that line. I think that he's been he hasn't been lighting up on the score sheet. But I love the play against Marner in Toronto where he, he telegraphed what Marner was trying to do. So what did he do? He went down to one knee, kept a stick on the ice. That way Marner couldn't get any of that pass through. He knew what he was going to do. Um, furthermore, he outraces him down the ice and then shoots a field goal of a shot, but, which, but that's okay. <laughs> it's it's a, 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 a for effort. Um, you know, I thought, he, I thought he had some jump in his step against Ottawa. And for the most part, I, th- I think he's been playing better this year. Have not, and I'm not singling out, um, Hall, because I don't like his him as a player. Um, there's a transition there. I get it. Uh, outside of the faceoff dot, I have not loved his his game so far, um, which is upsetting because I, I thought he looked pretty good in preseason. But so far, he seems to me he's one of those players, and it's only through nine games or ten games, whatever it's been. Seems like he may be one of those guys you got a year too late rather than or too early. Um, but it's so early, he could easily turn it around. I'm sure he will. And there's other guys that are stake bitten too, like Craig Smith. Um, Thomas Nosek has, I think he has a couple of goals, but he also has had a few bad turnovers, uh, specifically on the penalty kill, where it's like, look, you were relied upon in Vegas to be a really strong bottom six guy. What are you doing on a, on, on a Bruins PK, giving a weak backhander from the bottom of your circle right to the blue line? It's like, yeah, can't, can't, can't have that. So, well, Scott, Scott's given his grades, right? Is that today? Uh, I'll be posting that Thursday grades. morning. Thursday. Great, he's, so, grades for Bruins free agents so far. Yeah, so 10, games, 10 games through yeah, the season. This is, this, is this, is like yeah. a, this is like an interim progress report. Yeah. Yes, it is, we, actually. See where, I, they, see where they're at so far. Yeah. He said He said uh, someone gets an incomplete. So I said, do they have to that's, retake the course? That's. I think I know who that one might be. <laughs> yeah. that, that, reminds, that reminds me of when I was in high school. <laughs> I used to get... Uh, so in school you get you get progress reports and report cards. 
well, for my French class, I used to get <laughs> I used to get interim progress reports because because uh, I was always like uh, flirting with that with that C that C average line. But I remember one time I was a senior, and I came up from hockey practice, and uh, I got a, I got a, my parents were like, uh, yeah, so we got this letter from school. It's like you you have an F in French, and I was like, well, look. Technically yes, but what you guys don't know is that we have daily quizzes, and this was just like the second quiz of the year of the semester. So like, I have a ton more. So yeah, it's an F average right now, but that's because really I, I really effed I'm up like, the first one. I'm like, I'm like guys, it's it's one of eighty two. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> season. Um, well, I'm I'm looking forward to those, Scott. But uh, yeah, I just I I want to see a little bit more out of out of Halla. It's like, look, we all know I'm harping on Halla because. Felino hasn't played to to really um, see what he can do with the Bruins, but we all know how important a third line is um, for a team that wants to win a Stanley Cup. Yes, all the lines are important. They all have their roles, but that third line needs to provide some offensive punch, and you have a guy in Jake DeBrusque who could, who could be, has in the past, be a top six left wing. He's a third line left wing. Hall has put, he's put, what did he put in Vegas that year? Was it? Close to thirty, or was it twenty? Yeah, it was like twenty. All right, seven twenty. Yeah, goals. so like, look, he's done it before. It's not really. It's it's more of the outlier than anything else. But and that and that 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 third player on the on the third line has just been kind of a rotation so far. So I just want. I, I'm anxious to see Felino get in the lineup. I think probably tomorrow night against the Oilers, and so I can really kind of see. Okay, we know we know that on defense they have some personnel issues, but can the defense tread water till the deadline? I think so, but offensively. When we see all the players um, in the right spots, how does this team look offensively? Because so far, you know they're they're in the bottom half of the league in scoring in goals per game in general, uh, and specifically at even strength they're struggling. So um, curious to see how how that shakes out on Thursday. Yeah, I think to your point on Hala, it's like I think I think you see effort there, and like you see flashes. One thing I would like to see is for him to use the speed more. Like I've seen, I, think I was going to bring that up. I've seen it a few times where you can really, you, like, all of a sudden it almost catches you by surprise because he doesn't do it too often. But all of a sudden you'll see him, you know, go in on the four check or, or make some anticipation play on the puck where he's using his full speed, and you're like, wow, this this guy's fast. Yeah, and but there's too many times where it's like he gets the puck on a stick and seems to have some room to skate and just kind of slows it down and like doesn't attack and doesn't really try to use that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he has zero goals and one assist so far through 10 games. And to your point, like winning face-offs or giving a good effort, like that's not that, that might get by on the fourth line. That's not enough on the third line. Like you didn't, you didn't go out and, and add these veteran forwards to have a, a third line that gives an honest effort, but doesn't produce like you, you went out and you spent money on these guys so that you had a third line that could score more than your third line last year. Like, that that's why you did it. And so if, you know, again, we haven't seen Felino there consistently. He's only played, whatever, like a game and a half. So, Four periods, not even. Right? Yeah. So, you know, we'll so see. So it's not, but... it's not been a experience, like a veteran line that he's been playing with because they've had some rotation there on – third line uh, they've had DeBrusque there with Hala the whole time but then you know but, Studnika Steen uh, yeah. I believe Coleman played there uh, Lazar got moved up yeah, yeah. so yeah. like there's been a lot of rotation in and, that Felino spot on the right it is worth mentioning that you know in the one game 
the one full game they were together, they combined for the game-winning goal. And and in a, in a way, the way they scored it was exactly kind of how we thought that that line could work well together. You know, it was it was DeBrus caught in the puck. It was Halla, you know, following up, showing that you know that offensive ability he has. And and, and it was Felino who was you know, I think he may have gone to the net um, on the goal, and then DeBrus followed up. So like, you know. And they look good in preseason together, too. Again, I think the one or two games they were together. So, it's like Scott said, it's like, you know, um, was it good enough for Michael Ryder to be good in the walls? Was it good enough for Chris Kelly to be strong in the faceoff circle, for Rich Peverly to be good at, strong in the walls? Like, no. Like, yeah, that, that, that's that's part of the game. Those are facets of the game that, like, everybody needs to have. Like, that's not a that, – that's not like a tip of the cap. Like, good job. Like, no, no, that's that's the, you doing your job. You're getting paid the extra moolah – because you're supposed to be putting in, you know, twenty to thirty points, thirty-five, forty points in that in that in those roles. Like, again, like when the Bruins won the cup and when they came close to winning cups, you had third liners that were twenty goal scorers, just about in in almost every situation that 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 they went to the cup finals. Um, so, you know, it, it's 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 a big risk because Felino is already we've seen the health issue. And can Halla be what he was that one that one year in Vegas? And he, he had some offensive pop in Carolina, not so much in Nashville. Um, but, you know, could Halla be a fourth liner? Okay, yeah. Well, in that situation, who's in the third line? Maybe Jack Stanika. Maybe we can j- talk about him for a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, I think everyone's dream, and it's something that Cassie even said himself before the season, was like, the hope was that whenever Stanika got a chance, got called up, he would basically force his way into the lineup, take a job, and run with it. And it just hasn't happened. Like, he's gotten chances. He's played up as high as the second line. He's been on the third. He got a chance on the fourth line. He's played center, wing. And it's kind of it's been more of the same, like, each time he gets called up, which is like, you'll see some flashes, but then too often he... He's getting bumped off the puck. He's losing battles along the boards. Um, Cassidy said after Tuesday's game that he thought Stanika was, quote, light on the puck at times. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you and remember then... what he said right after that, though? Because I think it's important as well. He's he. I I know what he said. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you know off the top of your head. He he said that, and then he. But in the same breath, he said, um, he he always works hard. That's not an issue yeah. with him. So the coaching staff at least recognizes that. Yeah, which which is important, but. That hard work's got to, to what we just said about Holly, like it's got to produce more results. And with Stanika at the NHL level so far, it just hasn't. He goes, um, He one thing that has been good with him so far, and like we mentioned, I don't think it's ideal that he's been slotted in at wing. He obviously is someone that they're looking to be a center. But he always seems to be going to the right part of the ice in the offensive end. He's always finds himself right where the puck um, bounces to on rebounds or he's out in front for tips. Um he is good in front of the net, um, but that's that's where you notice him, right? And then he kind of disappears a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see because I think... So, we're recording this on, on Wednesday afternoon, and uh, Stanika has been sent down. We'll see how long that is. I guess he's expected to play for Providence Wednesday night. Um in theory, he can, he can come up and down whenever because he doesn't have to clear waivers or anything. So we've already seen, like, a couple paper transactions with him where he got sent down and then was up the next day type thing. 
so we'll see, you know, how long this ends up being with him in Providence. Um, as we mentioned earlier, there is another injury concern now with Trent Frederick. So, you know, someone, even with Felino returning, like there's a spot in that fourth line now. So we'll see how it all shakes out. I think clearly Cassidy is going to give DeBrusque Hall of Felino a chance to star once Felino comes back. That was the third line he had in mind from the start. As we've said, you haven't gotten much of a look at it at all in the regular season. So Cassie's going to want to see what that looks like. But if, say, Halla continues to struggle and not really make things happen as a center on that line, I could definitely see Stanika getting a shot there. And then you drop Halla down and it's either he's on the wing or Noshek moves to the wing or whatever that looks like. Um, you figure it out from there. But... You know, but that's that feels like something that now would happen more because Hall is struggling and he's not holding on to that spot than Stanika forcing his way in, which he just hasn't really done yet. And um, and to that point, like as far as Stanika goes, look, I was did he lose a couple battles against the Senators? Yeah. Did he also win a few board battles? Yeah, he did. And uh, you know, I, I feel like. I feel like if if Cassidy or or, or fans or or management are waiting for that game where Stanika goes 100% on board battles, well, name me a player who wins every single battle every single game. Like, everybody loses a couple battles here and there, and I feel like that's kind of an unfair threshold to set. It's like, we're waiting for them to win every battle. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody on the ice are professional hockey players, so everybody loses a few battles. You know, when Cassidy said that, I was like, ah... You know, I feel like that's kind of um, you know unfair because, yes, he did lose a few. But there were also, in some key po- moments of the game, specifically, uh, I want to say in the second period, because the Bruins are going down the other end, where right in front of Ottawa's bench, like, Sonika showed patience. He outworked a few guys in the wall, made a nice outlet pass to, I think, Kala coming to the middle, or, or maybe it was DeBrus coming across the whole ice. But, you know, he won some battles, too. And he also, I thought, like, wasn't the worst... He- he wasn't the least effective player in that line. Like, he was more effective than Halla outside the faceoff dot, but, you know, Stanika wasn't taking draws, so can't really compare that. Like, he was he was making things happen in the offensive zone. I thought he and DeBrusque were showing some good speed and, and, and um, you know, they, they were getting on guys in the offensive zone and forcing turnovers and making things happen. So, I know, I thought, I, I just, I don't know why this narrative is, is out there, like, as far as, like, he's losing puck battles. Like, everybody loses a few puck battles over the course of a game if you're playing enough. The only answer is just, like, that's what Cassidy's yeah. is saying. After I know. But it comes back to what we said last he week. O- he almost always has more positive to say than negative. Yeah. But it seemed framed kind of in a... Well, and, and actions speak loud in the words. I guess, I guess this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, where it's like, you know, how effective can Jack Stanika be? How many... If he plays a game that goes right back down, like I just can't help but shake the the thought process. He needs to be up for like five games. Give him like a five game sample. That that way, it's like even it, it helps Cassidy and and Sweeney know more too. Like you don't learn a game here, a game there, especially with like their weird schedule and their and their jumbled up lines because of injury. Like and playing on every single line except yeah. for the first line and so in different positions. It's like I yeah. just I just feel like. You, you got to give the kid at least like a five. Sweeney and Cassidy have to say, look, you know what? Um, 
Frederick's out with a concussion. Throw Jack in there, no matter what, <laughs> for 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 a five game sample at center, and let's, let's just see, let's just see what we can eat over five games. I don't know. Like, am I crazy? No, you're dead on. Like, yes, it's tough when you're only getting a game every week and a half or whatever, and if you don't play like the best game of your career, you you're out of the lineup. So, I get that. I think I do think Staniga's been too quiet when he has gotten chances so to an extent i think some of the criticism is fair or some of the stuff that cassie's pointing out is fair um i would like to see him get a longer run especially if there's a spot which is to your point you mentioned frederick now potentially you know let's say frederick is out through the weekend that's three more games thursday saturday sunday they play even if it's on the fourth line i throw stonika between noshek and lazar and Again, just let him play NHL games. Like, I would be totally on board with that because it's like, all right, so what's... If you're not going to do that, what's the other option? It looks like, you know, maybe it's Anton Bleed coming back in the lineup. He's getting close to a return. Or maybe Kuhlman comes in, but then you have to probably bump Nozhek to the wing and Lazar goes to center or whatever. But it's like, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've seen enough of Anton Bleed and Carson Kuhlman that like I'm not going to be in any rush to get them back in the lineup. So I would, ra- point I would is, rather give that chance to Stanika and yeah. see what he does with it. And the point is that we've already we already kind of know what Kuhlman does and what Bleed does, and that those guys have gotten a lot of chances. They've been around uh, and factoring into the Bruins lineup. Uh, for more time than Sanika has because he's finally just breaking through as of I believe last season was he did he get any games the season before that Maybe in the won. playoffs yeah yeah he had a couple and, in the bubble and so they and, and actually like a couple like really early in that season too I think yeah so he is someone that they I remember in the, in the off season they said he's an untouchable, right? Like he's a guy that you call you call the Bruins up and you go, "Hey, we want Stanika for X Y Z," and they're just gonna hang up the phone on you because they think that he's somebody for their the future of their system. If that's how highly you think of him, then you need to get him the time, like Brian said. Yeah. Um. Just just get him in there. You you have to know at some point whether or not this guy is someone you're gonna protect and you're gonna be like, "No, we're we're sticking with this guy." Yeah. And, and look, if you if you do play Stanika, you give him the chance that that he's. I I thought he earned in camp, um, and it doesn't work out. All right, well you know what? All right, it didn't work out. But if we want to maybe include him in a package now at the deadline, at least us as fans, like we'll 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 be like, all right, you know what? We kind of saw what he was. Maybe he just wasn't wasn't long term. Now, granted, he fills a void that this franchise needs, and that's future center depth. Um, but like, you know, T- Nosek and Lazar, you know, those guys, I think they're solid fourth liners in the NHL. You know, could they be a third liner on a different team or lesser team? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, you look at Tampa Bay and like somebody like Matthew Joseph, I think is their fourth line center or maybe a wing, but he, he has, he's, he has, you know, top six, middle six talent, but he's on their fourth line, but he's with Patrick Maroon and somebody else. Like, my point is, you can have fourth lines that, you know, they don't all have to be. It doesn't have to be, you know, Sean Thornton, George Paris anymore, Greg Campbell. Like, you know, right. it, it, you can have some skill. And you know, I personally don't think that Frederick has done. You know, certainly he hasn't been. He hasn't been providing energy uh, with the fisticuffs. 
Um, I think he's protecting the puck a little bit better down low this year. Frederick is, but all all in all, he's not he's not changing games for that for, on that line. I think Nosek has been okay. Lazar has been okay. In fact, there's been games where I've been watching their fourth line, thinking to myself, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing like you know Lauko up for a game or two, or Steen or or, or, or Frodeen, because like those guys they have some skill too, and and they want to play. So there's a situation where you could put you know Stanika on the third line for the Bruins. Or on the fourth line, and, and it's like you you, you got to see more because he's not. Yes, he's a kid, but in NHL age, kind of like dog years, in NHL years, like he's, I want to say twenty two, three yeah, years old. Twenty two, yeah. So, like, give like give the kid a shot more consistently because he's not he's not like a Lysel prospect anymore. He's not eighteen years old playing the WHL. He's in your system, and if he has all this skill and talent, like you got to put him in a position to to show you what he can do a little bit more consistently. It's just, that's, yeah. that's my opinion. And, and just to clarify something I said, Eric, like, when I talk about Kuhlman and Bleed, like, I'm not saying they're useless, like, they suck. They're fine, and they can help you. But just upside in terms of, like, what's going to help you get to your ceiling as a team, Stanika's upside is obviously much higher than those guys. So, you know, we're talking about, like, not getting enough depth scoring anyways, like, like if you, if you had three lines playing well and producing, and you said, all right, we want more grit, physicality, whatever on that fourth line, like, that's fine. But Bruce Cassidy himself has acknowledged that they're they're not getting enough offense throughout the lineup. So why not give the guy who actually has offensive upside a chance, even if, yes, he hasn't totally shown it in the little bit of NHL time that he's gotten yet? Here's here's a closer to home example, guys. Actually, now that I think about it, the Bruins' best fourth line they've had, you know, I guess you could probably say franchise history because fourth lines have only been a thing for about twenty, maybe twenty, twenty five years, was the Thornton Campbell Pie line. Well, Danny Pie was a first rounder. He was a twenty goal scorer at least once, maybe twice in Buffalo before he came to the Bruins. And on the Bruins, he was a ten to fifteen goal scorer. Um, so, like, you know, even then, when the league was a little bit more grittier back in 20, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever, you had skill then, too. Um, and, you know, I And you started the season with Marshawn down that line. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, I just think, look, if, if Carson Kuhlman doesn't play another game for the Boston Bruins, will any of us even notice or care? And it's no, it's no offense to the players By the way, he had played every single game up until this point yeah. where they switched him out of the lineup and Sonika yeah. in. I like I like Coleman. I like Coleman, but it's it's like, like I said, he's not a franchise like like altering player. Not that Stanika is, but like again, Stanika fills a void that this franchise needs ultimately, and that's to groom somebody to take over for like Krejci and Bergeron. And if he's not the guy, well, you got to figure it out. Because if he's not, then you can move him later in the year, and in part of, as part of a package for maybe a future you know pick or or you got to get better at at center anyway. So if it's not Stanika. You gotta find out if it is or not first. And and these spot games here and there, let's throw him on the wing against Ottawa. Oh, he lost a couple puck battles. Well, back to Providence. Okay. Well, that's not helping this team figure out what they need now or long term. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Are you? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot else to add in Stanika. Like, well, we'll, we'll obviously revisit it because when he comes back up, inevitably, where will he end up? That's going to be probably an article or definitely a topic of conversation on on po- podcasts throughout this year. Well, maybe on episode sixty nine. Maybe potentially. And uh, <laughs> but before we get to that, you know, I'm very very excited for Thursday night as a hockey fan. I I uh, like. So, obviously, the Oilers are coming to town. And, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl, <laughs> you know, the Bruins couldn't handle um, Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha on sat- last Saturday in Toronto. <laughs> They'll have a tough time with these two. <laughs> um, I mean, these guys, look, the Bruins, it's tough to it's tough to compare the Bruins' top players to other teams' top players just yet because they've only played 10 games or 9 games. I think the Oilers have played, like, 14 or 13, but... Even still, McDavid and Drysaddle are already in the 20s in points, and they're doing it in highlight real fashion, men amongst boys, specifically McDavid, and we get to see them Thursday night. And, uh, you know, the biggest matchup I'm, you know, salivating to watch is is, uh, is uh, McAvoy against McDavid. Um, just two of the, in my opinion, two, two of the brightest stars uh, at what they do in this league, obviously. So uh, that'll be a fun game to watch. And we're, yeah, all, it, we're all going to be there, right? Yes. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's, been a while like if if you mostly just watch Bruins games it's been a while since you've seen Connor McDavid yeah uh, obviously they didn't play last year and going back the year before it was I think it was like earlier in that season so you know time about at least two years I think so um yeah I mean that's like when when you look at schedule before the season and you start circling your games and whatever it's like yeah the the, the game that Connor McDavid comes that's that's one of the ones that you're circling. Yeah, I mean, he's played two games at the Garden in his career. He's got two goals. Um, both were eerily similar, streaking down the right side. Um, went 5-4 on Halak once. I forget who he scored against the other time. Maybe both were against Halak. I don't really remember. But one time he undressed Chara. Um, the other time was uh, right before the COVID shutdown. And, uh, um, yeah, again, coming on the right side, just blazing speed. It's going to be fun to watch. But, again, it's going to be a test outside of those two players. Like, Edmonton's a good team. You know, are they, you know, it's a weird year because going to the year was like Vegas, Colorado out west, right, um, as the cup contenders. Well, both of those teams are struggling despite uh, Vegas getting Jack Eichel, which we haven't talked since, that uh, he's not going to be ready to go for a while. Um, Colorado has struggled out of the gate. And here's Edmonton um, with guys, you know, I, I would say the biggest difference between the Bruins and the Oilers so far is that outside of the Oilers' top guys, they still have contributions coming from elsewhere in the lineup, and uh, whereas Boston, they're still trying to find that. It's going to be a big challenge for them. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Like I said, I woke up and came here, <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to look at Twitter or anything. Uh, has Cassidy named a goalie for Thursday's game for the for the game against the Oilers? Um, I don't know if he said today or not. Do they have today off or no? It was like a super optional practice. There was some. Seemed like maybe like ten or so guys on the ice, but it wasn't a full team practice. So does he not have to speak uh, on optional days as as the coach to the media? Uh, no, I think he did. He does. He speaks most most okay. days. Um, who would you guys like to see at the start? Jeremy, Linus. Uh, I would go with Allmark because then I'd also want to split the weekend where they play Saturday and Sunday. I think True. obviously you're splitting those two games. So I would give. I'll mark Thursday and then whatever you want to do Saturday, Sunday. Um, I don't know. Maybe t- 
to the point of what Bridget wrote for for Wednesday, maybe give Swayman the Sunday night game against Montreal since he's keep undefeated at home. Yeah, keep, keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Yeah, I think that makes sense actually. If if uh, yeah, that is their weekend schedule. So I think maybe giving Allmark the start uh keeps him fresh and keeps Swayman good to go for for the weekend split. And, too. and speaking of Montreal, uh, it is Allmark and Ned. It is Allmark. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, and speaking of Montreal, um, Carey Price actually spoke again this week, put out a statement um, about his uh, reasons for going, not like super specifically, but about his reasons for um, going into the NHL's uh, mental health recovery program. Uh, and he did rejoin the team, but he doesn't still doesn't have a timeline to return, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we're getting more it's becoming more of an open conversation when it comes to stuff like mental health um and even like substance use and things like that so obviously just hope that you know carrie price is in in a good place now and is able to whenever he gets back you know be in a good spot um as it relates directly to the bruins it's montreal already looks like a team that's not really going to be in contention. Uh, they've struggled so far, so which is almost kind of a bummer because I think you were looking forward to like that rivalry, hope hopefully coming back this year, where you know Montreal looked like a pretty good team for most of last season, Deep makes a surprising run. run to the Stanley Cup final, and you're thinking, ooh, you know, maybe there's some pieces there, and it's a team kind of on the rise, and you know. Maybe it's just to rekindle the rivalry a little bit because even before COVID, like there were a few years there where the Canadians just weren't really competitive and it didn't feel like there was a lot of hate there. And I kind of feel like we might still be in that spot. You know, we'll see what actually happens in the games. You know, there was some there was some hate last night with the Senators, and that's not a team that you would look at and think like, oh, you know, there'll be a big rivalry between them and the Bruins. But there's some hate there, so we'll see once they get on the ice. But certainly doesn't look like in the standings or in like a potential playoff series. It doesn't really look like Montreal is going to be up to that this season. Yeah, and you know, there's probably less opportunity for for some fisticuffs because um, the Canadians sent, uh, you know, uh, instigator uh, Cole Caulfield back <laughs> down to uh, <laughs> the Myers. Uh, Five foot three. Yeah. <laughs> That's nah, like which, me. That's... Which, which you know is uh, you know interesting because obviously he's, he was. Projected to be a Calder finalist and put up thirty-five, maybe forty goals this yeah, year. But, yeah, he looked awesome in the playoffs. Yeah, he last did. Year. He did. You know, actually, I, you know, I'm surprised that Montreal's off to this kind of a start because I, you know, I know, I know they were without uh, Weber and, and Carey Price, but you know, they still have some pieces, especially up front. And you know, I, you know, I going into the season preview, I, I thought that they'd be a decent team offensively, defensively. I wasn't expecting much, and I think it's them in Arizona as like the two you know, least uh, offensive teams in the, in the league. So, but as far as uh, Sunday night comes, uh, goes, you have, um, you know, Brendan Gallagher, you have Josh Anderson, um, you know, so yeah, you, you have some guys that, that, you know, play physical and, and, you know, should make for an entertaining game. I mean, Scott's absolutely right. The rivalry has been, you know, dead for, yeah, five, six years. It just hasn't been there. Um, which, you know, but, you know, in the meantime, you don't really notice it because in the meantime, like the Bruins had, what they used to have with with Montreal, with Toronto, with Tampa Bay, um, with Washington. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, old friends can can uh, 
get back at it on on the ice because I I I think the league misses the Bruins. I mean, you, hell, you had a you had a winter classic against these two teams and. Everybody tries to forget that it was it was it was terrible the, winter classic. Of, I was there. I froze my butt off. It was oh my probably God. the worst hockey game I've ever watched. Marshawn was outdoors. suspended. The fans had. I'm yeah. I'm sorry to whomever was sitting next to me, but they had no idea what they oh, were looking right. at. Martian was suspended. Yeah. Right, right before against, against Ottawa, the fans were booing the intermission singers. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I think Pashnak was actually out of that game too. He didn't play either. He he, he had an ankle injury, I think. So, I mean, but regardless, yeah. So. Um, you know, a couple of good games coming up uh, this week to watch. Starts with Thursday against the Oilers. Um, Saturday, New Jersey. I don't know if Jack Hughes is is uh, is back healthy. You know, I have to take that hit from. Um, was it was it Lozon? Did Lozon? Yeah, Lozon. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lozon uh, injured Jack Hughes. So um, sleeper agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that. You know, you watch you watch you watch Connor Clifton. You think you think uh, you wish you wish Seattle took Clifton over Lozon? I still do. I don't dislike no, Clifton. I'm I think just... I think Clifton's been fine. I, I mean, look, I haven't watched enough cracking games to be able to give what? an honest assessment. You have of... their hat. You wear their apparel. That's true. Don't but you, what's that they, podcast again? They play they too have... late. What's I'm, cracking? What's I'm, cracking? I'm an old man. Like I, I can't stay up to watch West Coast games. Come on. Yeah. yeah um, no, it, it's increasingly um, uh, yeah, dawning no, like... on me that Scott and I are both old ladies, <laughs> and I'm walking up the stairs going, wow, my good knee hurts, and he's like, I gotta go to bed, and I'm sitting there going, this music is too loud. <laughs> the music <laughs> did break out of this music is too loud. It is too loud. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't hear myself think. I, my ears were bleeding. I'm oh like, oh my god. god, am I old? It is too loud. Uh, it's... It's the music. It's it's like you're at a concert. It's it's ridiculous. There's like one song in particular that just seems like ten times louder than the rest of the music too, and that's the one where I was like, Scott. I mean, <laughs> it's I mean, too look, loud. Look, if it, if it's a tight hockey game in the third period and the Bruins are going on a power play, what better song to play than you know Selena Gomez or Taylor Swift? It just it just you know makes you feel like you're at an old school hockey game for sure. Well, I will say there was a there was a nice Taylor Swift mashup before. Oh yeah, trouble before the uh, Bergeron four goal game. So they got to bring that back now. Mm-hmm. Clearly, yeah. Bergeron inspired by it. Yeah. Big Swifty. A lot of Swifties on the Bruins bench. Anybody else have anything before we go? I know Bridget's got to go. She Bridget has to, has to go. <laughs> you good, Scott? Uh, so Bridget and I will both be doing some stuff helping out with uh, Christian Fourier's twenty five for twenty five K, which. If you're listening any time in the first, like, 24 hours that this podcast is going to be posted, we'll still be going on. Um, great cause for the so American two, Diabetes Association. So 2 p.m. Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday to 2 p.m. and, you know, maybe really, a little it's bit. It's going to go till 6 p.m. on Thursday. Yeah, like, it's so, actually going to be, like, 28 hours by yeah, the time he, it's done. Yeah, he got himself into it because he had, yeah. uh, scheduled some really good guests <laughs> late tomorrow during uh, – MF, so he's mm. he's gonna be around for more than twenty five hours, yeah. but he'll be completely delusional by the end. It'll as he great. was last so time. You can you can go on wi.com and got like all the info there on how to donate. So good cause. Close with that. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you uh, next week for Scott's favorite episode. Mm-hmm.